was it a struggle to be taken seriously as a young <laughs> woman here? <laughs> Well, in those days, um, I think just being a woman here was was the, was the struggle. From Politico, this is Women Rule, where we bring you real talk with women bosses. I'm Anna Palmer, senior Washington correspondent and co-author of the Politico Playbook. That's Cindy McCain, the Arizona businesswoman and philanthropist whose marriage to Senator John McCain catapulted her into the national spotlight. But there's another side to her. She grew up as an only child, daughter of a successful entrepreneur who wanted her to take over the family business, which she did, but not before earning a degree in special education and teaching children in Phoenix. For me, sitting back and either writing about it or just talking about it wasn't enough. The kids that I taught were, were very challenged, and they were also primarily kids of migrant farm workers, kids that were, you know, had basically right on the edge. While on vacation in Hawaii, she attended a reception and met the man she'd eventually marry. McCain, who at the time was working as a Navy liaison to the U.S. Senate and was at the reception with Jill and Joe Biden. It was Jill Biden that was really pushing John to come over and meet me, introduce himself to me. And I'm so grateful he did. And I'm grateful she did that. Matchmakers. <laughs> I really am. We, I, that, with that said, Jill and, and Joe Biden and my husband and I were, were such good friends. And Joe has been a remarkable source of inspiration kindness and just a shoulder uh, throughout all this because, you know, as you know, he lost his son to exactly the same thing. It's been a year since her husband passed away and Cindy McCain is hard at work advocating for something near and dear to Senator McCain's heart, civility, which in the political world today is in short supply. I think, I think we've seen the last of men like my husband. I really do, at least for right now. And now here's my conversation with Cindy McCain. I want to start here. It's been a year since your husband passed away. And in that time, with a few exceptions, you've largely stepped away from the highly public role you used to have. Do you miss anything about politics? I miss my husband. (laughs) (laughs) And I certainly miss his, um, you know, his directness and his forthrightness and his, you know, his ability to work across the aisle. I truly miss that. And I enjoyed watching him and, of course, having a front row seat to it many times, too. As far as me personally missing the limelight or or something like that, I've been very, very busy on issues. And so I feel very fulfilled right now. And, you know, with the exception of not having him with me, um, I'm, you know, I think the whole family's in a good spot right now, finally. It's good to hear. He was a Republican senator, but just as you kind of mentioned, he was famously well-liked by a number Mm -hmm. of his Mm -hmm. Democratic colleagues. We had very close personal relationships and also worked legislatively with them. Yeah. When you look back on his time in politics, is there anything that sticks out to you as being different about that versus what's happening today where basically you just see so little bipartisanship? Yeah. Certainly the bipartisan efforts that John made and his, his willingness to to certainly debate across the aisle and and never shy away from that but but reminding all of us that that it was never personal it was about the issues and two differing differing opinions and those kinds of things he was never one to to hold a grudge or be you know negative i mean he had his moments but for the most part he really believed in in being bipartisan and also enjoying your friends here. I mean, this it's a very small club that he was in. Yeah. And uh, and he made friends with some very unique people while he was here. 
uh, you know, I watch the news and, and certainly listen and read uh, things that are happening. And I, I truly believe that we need to take a step back, take a breath, and remember why uh, the members do what they do and the elected officials. And those of us that are, are kind of on the periphery of all of this, the inability to even discuss issues, differing issues, it's degenerated into name calling and, and Twitter responses and all of these things that, that don't, not only do they not help the argument, but they don't help foster good relationships with people. And most importantly, in my mind, it, this is not a good example we're setting for our children by any stretch. So it's important to me that people take a look at civility and remember that we are all on the same team, you know, the Team, team USA here. And civility has got to be a part of that. It has to be. Do you think the current president has exacerbated the, the de- you know, denigration of less civility in political context? I think, I think not only president, but the House and the Senate have too. I mean, you've seen, we've all seen what's, what's happened with, uh, with various things and, and none of this is helpful. And it certainly isn't helpful to the things that are most important. We have some serious mm-hmm. things happening both within and outside our country, and to not even be able to, to, quote, sit in the same room with each other is ridiculous. It's childish, in my opinion. So on this podcast, we talk to women in all walks mm-hmm. of life, yeah. in business and entrepreneurship, yeah. but a lot of women lawmakers. And one of the things I was thinking about speaking with you is your experience as a political spouse. Mm-hmm. And there's a thing that happens to a lot of political spouses, especially women, you know, whether you're successful in your own, mm-hmm. you know, private you know, enterprise or not, but you get defined in relationship to your husband and his politics. Did you ever feel that you couldn't really be yourself or that people were trying to mold you in a certain way? You know, I, to be very honest, I never felt that. Um, perhaps maybe because I was, I was blissfully unaware. I don't know, but <laughs> so no one was telling you what to wear or how no. to do your hair or, you no, know, not at all. No one ever told me anything like that. And more importantly, uh, I think they trusted me enough to, to make good decisions and make and do things that are, would be helpful to my husband. And most importantly, I would never do, would never would have done anything to have, to have hurt any issue that was going on with him, let alone, you know, just the issue of being his wife. <laughs> How did you, I think one of the struggles that a lot of people that come into public life have mm-hmm. is the private life versus mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. the public life. Mm-hmm. How did you try to approach that? Well, my job was to make sure that there was a private life. And so uh, I, I, I was very sharp. I had a, a good friend of mine before John was elected years and years and years ago say to me, Go make friends with the scheduler. Go make friends with the <laughs> scheduler. It was the best piece of advice I was ever given. Because, you know, we had small kids, and it was very important that John be not only around, but be an active participant in their lives. And he was. I mean, he never missed a weekend when the kids were little. Um, he never missed a weekend. Um, he was, you know, I don't think our kids ever felt like they were they were left out of anything. I we kind of defined and framed his job as kind of being deployed. Mm-hmm. So he was deployed during the week uh, and serving his country. And that's how we went about it. But it was my job to make sure that he was reminded of what was where he should be, what is important, mm-hmm. and 
you know, in the scheme of things, these molding good human beings is way more important than anything else, <laughs> in my opinion. We did, we did just that. We have great kids. Over the years, there were all sorts of smears and attacks that were directed mm-hmm. at you and your family, mm-hmm. personal hurtful things. When you're on the receiving end of that, how did you handle it? Did you feel powerless? How did you kind of take that power mm-hmm. back? Well, um, it, it, that never gets easy, in my opinion. It never gets easy. It's something that I think for, for those of us who are, who are seasoned in all of this, you, you just learn to deal with it. You learn to, to, to understand that this is political. Um, it, I'd like to say it's not personal, although the attacks are personal, but it's all about politics. It's all that. That's very easy for me to say. And I all, I not always listen to that, to my own advice, mm-hmm. actually. I would get very frustrated. But what it did, more importantly, is my husband got, he was defenseless. He couldn't really say much, you know, because it just exacerbated the issue or whatever the issue was of the day. And so it was hurtful to him. I mean, it really, he was, he had a hard time sometimes when they go after me. He was, he felt he was always fair game, but when they go after me or certainly our children, right. um, it was a whole different deal. Looking back, uh, is there something you wish you had known when you were kind of getting into this life? One piece of advice that you would give yourself, in the, you know, with the benefit of time and going through it all yeah. and the drama and the saga. I know. Oh, to be young again and know what I know now. Exactly. I, you know, the one thing that I would, would recommend and that I, I would remind myself of was the importance of paying attention to, to things that were going on. It was easy for me to get swept up in the kids' lives and not really completely understand things. If I had any, anything I could remind myself was keep an even keel, stay focused, remind yourself of what's important, and also nurture and mentor the younger ones coming up. Um, I tried to do that at home, I, the younger wives and the newer wives in the House and the Senate. And um, I think they benefited from some of the things I knew. You know, I hope so. I wanted them to always know that they had a friend mm-hmm. and that I really understood <laughs> what it felt like to do what they're doing. <laughs> I'm sure. Well, let's take a step back. You were an only child. Mm-hmm. Your dad was a successful businessman. And uh, one of the old profiles that we read preparing for this said that as a kid, you got all the attention your father would have lavished on a son. Mm-hmm. What was your childhood like? My childhood, I could want for nothing. My father took such great care of my mother and I. And, um, you know, he came up the hard way. My dad was, he was from a very poor family. And, and he went away to World War II, like so many of these guys. And they and he became decorated as a result of it. He was in the uh, Army Air Corps. And when he came home... Uh, it was he was driven. He was absolutely the true American dream in terms of what happened to him. He talked to me uh, as you. He, he didn't. It wasn't like he was. He talked to me like a girl. He talked to me like a child. So he taught me everything. He he molded the business so that I could learn from it. He knew I was. You know, we all knew I was going to be the only one that would inherit. And so, for me, it, it became doubly important to not only understand the business but understand his philosophies. Do you, do you feel that sense of, I want to pass the family business along? Mm-hmm. Absolutely, I do. And our, we have, you know, we have a large family. And um, my sons in particular, both are in, you know, we're in the military. So 
uh, we'll see what happens down the road. You know, we'll see. Maybe I'll have a grandchild that'll do it. <laughs> there you we go. just had a new grandson. Maybe he's the one. <laughs> well, I mean, in some senses, that would have been unusual for the time, though, of mm-hmm. passing the family business to a daughter. To a woman. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, Especially uh, in the business that we're in. We're in the beer business. And uh, at the time that it became known that this is his intentions, um, I was one of maybe three or four females nationally, maybe less than that, that were that stood to be in, you know, in a, be a major player in the industry. What was the biggest piece of advice that he gave you? Oh, you know what? He actually, he, he said, always remember, you, you know, the bottom line is you have people that work for you and that every day make it possible for you to have this great life. So remember them, you know, always know their names or children's names, know, you know, uh, what's going on in their lives, those kinds of things. He was, he was very good at that. And I've tried to be. I hope I. I hope I am. But <laughs> but I try to pay, pay attention to what's going on with them. So ultimately, you decided to do something different. Mm-hmm. Uh, you went to USC, earned a degree in special education, mm-hmm. a very hard job. Where did that passion come from? You know, I don't know. I'll be honest with you. Uh, both my parents are certainly very philanthropic, but for me, I had to. I had to have my hands in it. I had to be on the ground in it. And that was true with any of the other things I did too. For me, sitting back and either writing about it or just talking about it it wasn't enough. And so uh, it's just a passion I have. I hope I've instilled it in my children. Um, But it's also something that um, I I joke with the staff here. I said, I got to go. I got to get out and get dirty. I can't, I, you know, we need to go back in the field and really see these issues again and making sure that we're in touch with, with, with what's really happening. You came back to Phoenix. You taught kids with disabilities. Mm-hmm. How did that experience change you besides just wanting to get dirty? But I mean, yeah. that, that had to have a no, big imp- imprint. A huge impact. I mean, it was the kids that I taught were were very challenged. And they were also primarily kids of migrant farm workers and kids that were, you know, had basically right on the edge with stuff. And so... I certainly, I certainly learned about it and, and felt the difficulties within the classroom, but I did home visits and the home visits are where I really learned. I mean, I, I was not oblivious to what was going on, but I mean, you know, it's a challenge. Seeing it with your own eyes is one, one Yeah, thing. it was a real challenge and you, it gives you great empathy and great understanding, you know, about, and it also shapes how you mold the curriculum in the classroom. A few years after college, you took a trip to Hawaii, and while there, met the man you'd eventually marry. I did. And t- I'd sworn off dating, because I'd grown very weary of the thought that, I, my God, I'm going to have to raise this man if I marry him. <laughs> yeah, our stories are very I'd similar. Up. I had given up. I'm not kidding. I was, I was just not going to have any part of this for a while. <laughs> Can you tell us about the night you met him? Oh, yeah. Um, well, my husband was a uh, Navy liaison to the U.S. Senate at that point. And it, I will say it's it's very hard to resist a man wearing a white uniform in the Navy. <laughs> With that said, <laughs> um, my my father and mother and I were on what was my then work spring break, and we went. We were in Hawaii, and my father was friends with the SINCPAC admiral, and so we were invited to the reception where my husband and the group of senators that he was escorting were. And one of the senators and his wives that were there were were Joe and Jill Biden, <laughs> and. Uh, John and I saw each other from across the room, and then, I mean, it was instant. I saw him from across the room. He took one look at me, too, and then we played this game of, like, walking around the the buffet table, you know, kind of (laughs) doing this kind of thing. 
And so um, he eventually asked me to go out for a drink that night. And I was astounded that I met someone that was so well-read and so well-rounded for having what, for what he'd been through and was so fun. I mean, just a great person all around. It was, I, and then it was like, oh my God, he won't like me at all. <laughs> He's too good. He's too great. I'll never. <laughs> so all the relationships, the beginning oh, of all relationships, oh, the drama, <laughs> exactly. But it was Jill Biden that was really pushing John to come over and meet me, <laughs> introduce himself to me, and I'm so grateful he did, and I'm grateful she did that. Matchmakers, <laughs> <laughs> I really am. We I, that with that said, Jill and and Joe Biden and my husband. And I were were such good friends, and Joe has been a remarkable source of inspiration, kindness, and just a shoulder uh, throughout all of this. Because you know, as you know, he mm-hmm. lost his son to exactly the same thing, and uh, he, Joe's been remarkable to me, but especially Megan McCain. He's really been good for her. Do you think you'll weigh in on the 2020 race for him? I don't think so at this point. I'm really going to try to stay out of politics altogether this race, this this season anyway. <laughs> all right. I had to ask. All right. It's all right. Everyone does. So ultimately, you uh, marry. He's mm-hmm. elected to Congress. Mm-hmm. You decided to put your career on hold. Mm-hmm. How did you make that decision? I think it's something that a lot of mm-hmm. relationships and families struggle with, you know, who's going to lead, who's going to follow, and what the balance is like. Well, I knew, uh, obviously, I knew my husband, and, and I knew that he had been saved for something special. That's really how I believed it. He was so good. He, he understood things. He was so uh, special in all those ways. And I just knew it. And I and the only way that I could support him would be by working with him. And so his first congressional race, I mean, it was basically <laughs> John and me and a few sta- a few key staff. But I mean, he won he won that race not only because he's smart and in all the issues and those things. But we knocked uh, on fourteen thousand doors, and that's the margin that he won by was fourteen thousand oh. votes. It, it was to me, it was something I knew I should do. It was the right thing to do. I didn't, it didn't make me feel like I was putting my life on hold. I thought it was a better purpose, you know, for me. And so, and it was, I mean, it it was, it's, it was wonderful. When you moved here in 1983, uh, I read that it was a tough time that some people called you a trophy, quote unquote, Mm -hmm. trophy wife. Mm -hmm. Was it a struggle to be taken seriously as a young (laughs) woman here? (laughs) Well, in those days, um, I think just being a woman here was was the was the struggle. I don't think it was necessarily me. You know, you go to a reception or you go to a dinner, and someone would be shaking your hand, looking over your head, trying to find of someone course. better to talk to. You know, kind of thing. <laughs> so uh, I just kind of ignored it and just kind of passed it off. And you know, it's their problem, not mine. And so, but it it was yeah. Those first years are kind of kind of hard, and in, in that respect. So fast forward time a little bit. Senator McCain, of course, ran for president twice in 2000 and again in 2008. Mm -hmm. He gave an interview a year ago where you said that for the second presidential run, you were less willing to kind of expose yourself Mm -hmm. and more likely to say no. Mm -hmm. What changed? Well, it having been through it once, I mean, you know, I had a different vantage point than most everyone else. And I mean... Uh, for me, it was uh, it was tough. I mean, though that first race was hard. The South Carolina, the whole South Carolina issue was very difficult, and it was m- more about me wanting to protect my kids than it was anything else. Mm-hmm. Because that first race was, you know, our daughter 
about 2006 maybe, Googled herself. This is my daughter, Bridget. She Googled herself. And that's when all this stuff came up. I never, ever thought she'd do that. And man, and of course, then she doesn't know why people hate her. Right. And I, it's like, it, and trying to explain that and work her through that was very hard. So when it came to 2008, I just really wanted to keep, I wanted to protect them. I mean, I, they're almost grown at that point. They are grown, but still, you know, the mother instinct. Well, yeah. And I mean, you're still going to be under attack. Oh, totally. And scrutiny, yeah. And, you know, you're trying to figure out your life as a yeah. young adult. I mean. But I also knew, though, that John was, you know, we believed enough in him, and I knew that he had to get his chance to try this because I think he would have been an amazing president, obviously. Um, but it was something, you know, I would never would have wanted him to look back and say, I could have, I should have kind of thing. I didn't want that to be a responsibility that I would share with him. So... A lot of women, I think, struggle, and we talk about this on this podcast a lot, about kind of the, how do you say no? How do mm -hmm. you, you know, it, the instinct is to always say yes, to please oftentimes, to mm -hmm. do everything that you can, yeah. to juggle. Mm -hmm. But in that situation, you know, how did you kind of decide, make your decision mm -hmm. to say to say no when you needed to? Well, I had had a stroke in 2004, and it became very easy for me to, to know my limits and to know when I needed to back off or needed to get some rest because I was terrified of having another one, to be honest with you. So um, so that's what I did. I mean, and I had a great staff that would help out with that and make sure that I got some time, some downtime and and uh, we're, we're eating kind of right. You know, you never really eat right <laughs> on a campaign, but at least... A lot of pizza. A lot of pizza. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of stuff like that. So it was really... But I, I made a concerted effort to make sure that I did not over overstress myself mm -hmm. uh, in, in situations. When Senator McCain passed away last year, it was accompanied by an outpouring of emotion in Washington. Mm -hmm. And I've been here for a while that I don't know that I've seen before. What do you think it was about your husband that made him so admired? Mm-hmm. I think people respected him. They may not have agreed with him, but they respected his honesty. And that was across the board. I've, I can't tell you the amount of people that have said that to me. And so when it, it, when the funeral occurred and when it was going on, I know exactly what you're saying because I've had people come up to, to me and say, I lived in such and such country. The country stopped that day, closed work so people could watch the funeral. I mean, that's, that's really incredible. So I think it was it was about just this this human being that had such an impact on not only his his colleagues but on the American people, and um, I think I think we've seen the last of men like my husband. I really do, at least for right now. Um, I just don't see anyone that has. There's lots of good people in the Senate and the House, but I just don't see anyone bubbling up to the kind of quality that my husband had. In terms of that, you talked about that first race and really knowing the mm -hmm. state of Arizona. Oh, yeah. Um, through the years in politics. Mm -hmm. um, what's your sense? I was just in Phoenix and all the dem demographics and the shifting yeah. change. And you really see a state that is going to be, you know, majority minority in, by 2030. Mm -hmm. Democrats really feel like they have a chance there mm -hmm. for the first they real time. They do have a chance. They and do. yeah, what do you what are you seeing happening? What do you think? What do you think is spurring all of this? Well, you know, local. All politics is local, um, but I think in our case, um, certainly in Arizona, you know, we have, as you said, we have a huge Hispanic population now that have found their voice in politics. Number one and number two, we have uh, on my side of the aisle on the Republican side, we see um, a 
a local party in Arizona that's not functioning well, and it's it's excluding people, and it's excluding uh, you know people for the wrong reasons. I mean, no nobody should be excluded, but I mean they're excluding people. If you're not walking the line, then you're out. That's just not right. That's not the party that that my husband and I belong to. So you see, you see this very divisive. Um, political quagmire, in my opinion. And so, and Arizona, you know, it's a, we're a relatively young state. People come from across the country and move there, uh, combined with a very large Hispanic population. Um, and, you know, I can see us going Democrat. I really can. Mm. I'm not saying I want that, <laughs> but I can see it happening. <laughs> what, what was your action with, with Martha McSally, who ran um, for Senate and, and was pretty critical frankly, of, of your husband and, and her and kind of bear hug Trump in some ways. And it was a little, a little I think people were surprised by. Mm-hmm. How did you react to that? I view that as politics. She, you know, she did what she thought she had to do. Um, and that was that it was what it was. What I didn't want to happen at the time was for my husband to witness any of that. He was ill at this time, but he was still alert. And I didn't I hated the fact that he knew kind of knew what was going on. It really hurt me. So, uh, but with that said, he would be the first to say, move up, move on. <laughs> and, and he would be telling me, you know, let's get going and let's support, you know, those who are in office now and, su- and support what they're trying to do. So um, I hope I can live up to his standards. I really <laughs> do. President Trump has said a number of insulting things about your husband uh, and even still reportedly fumes in private about him. <laughs> uh, I'm curious what it's like to go through that. Your daughter, um, who I've met and interviewed actually on this podcast, mm-hmm. talked a little bit about that last time. It's got to be very frustrating. Well, it's frustrating for me in that it affects my children that way. I mean, my daughter has been very outspoken, very vocal about her opinions with regards to this administration, and I respect that. As far as I'm concerned, for me, it doesn't do me any good to to dwell on the past or dwell on anything that's been negative or positive mm-hmm. or whatever it may be. Um, I want this country to move forward. I want this country to be the vision that my husband had for it. And so I can. The best thing I can do is keep doing what I'm doing and and hopefully making a difference in a small way in the arena that I work in, and remind people uh, that you know once again. Uh, we need to work together on things. Last question. Mm-hmm. Over the last couple of years, your name has been floated as a potential candidate for office. <laughs> what would it take to get you to run? <laughs> <laughs> a whole lot. <laughs> no, I, you know, I, I really love working in what I work in right now, and, the, and that's in, in combating human trafficking. And it means a great deal to me. It comes from the heart. So, I, I think people should be happy in what they do, and I would not want to run for office and not have my heart into it. And for right now, I'm happy doing what I'm doing, and I'm and I love my state, and I work very hard at the local and state level with this issue. And then I get to travel a great deal globally as a result of it. It's an issue that we're going to be able to to really really make a difference in, and so I'm happy doing what I'm doing. All right. Well, thank you so much for your thank time. Thank you. Thank you. Women Rule is produced by Zach Stanton. Dave Shaw is the executive producer of Politico Audio. The show is made in partnership with our founding partners, Google and the Tory Burch Foundation. If you're a fan of the show, please subscribe to Women Rule on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Rate us and leave a review. And please share our episodes on social media. And follow me on Twitter and Instagram at apalmerdc. 
You can also join the Women in Rural community by texting WOMEN to 66866. 